Anyway, if you're joining us on the live stream, welcome. You know, each country, each tribe, each family is separated from each other uh, through a different set of values and beliefs. And these values and beliefs get represented in the way that they live their lives in terms of their family traditions and the things that they do. For example, um, most of us here um, come from a Southeast Asian country background. It was funny, my, one of my kids today said that he was Korean and then my daughter was like, no, you're not. And I was so confused at that moment because I was like, wait a minute. Is he? And so I was like, you have Korean heritage, but you're pretty Australian. Anyway, one of the traditions that we have, Southeast Asian countries, is that when we enter someone's home or you enter your own house, you take off your shoes, right? That's just something that we do. You know, most of us don't even think about it because that's just, we just grew up like that, right? Um, It's something that represents the culture that we're a part of. Um, not only culture or nations, but even families have this. Families have different traditions and rules um, within that family that, that separate them from different families, right? So one example of this is education, right? Some families, education is high standard, and most of us are Asian, so a lot of our families that we grew up in, um, and that's why, you know, kids go tutoring, that's why kids go private education, um, you know, they go to um, coaching colleges, whereas some other families, education isn't as important. And so those kids go to Saturday soccer, <laughs> they go to Westfield, <laughs> go to the movies, and that's what the other kids do. Now, it's not necessarily one is right or one is wrong. It's just different values and beliefs that represent that family. And that's what sets that family and that culture apart from each other. Now, for the people of Israel that we've been talking about as we work through the book of Exodus, they were slaves in Egypt for 430-odd years, right? Their identity as a slave was just that. They were just slaves. You know, who are you? I'm just a slave. And as a slave, you don't get... You don't have the freedom or the luxury to define who you are because you're just a slave. But God, Yahweh, rescues them out of Egypt and is now leading them and guiding them to the promised land. Now, we enter back into the story. We're at Exodus 19 today, 19 and 20, where we meet the people of Israel that are in the desert and they're actually in a part of the desert called the Desert of Sinai which is right next to the Mount Sinai. And this is going to become really significant because Mount Sinai is where God came down to meet his people. Exodus 19, verse 10 to 11, reads this. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now, 
the people of God have not seen God. They've seen the miracles of God. They've seen the plagues that he brought upon Egypt. They saw the destruction of Egypt, but they have not seen God. And so we come to this amazing, uh, some people say this is the climax actually of the book of Exodus, not even the Exodus itself, where God comes down to Mount Sinai to directly meet with the people. And the first words that God gives to his people, we read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 to 17, and we know them as the Ten Commandments. And so we're going to be going through these Ten Commandments. Um, In all seriousness, each of these commandments is so deep, and each of these could be a sermon each. But we're going to try to just summarize it and give you a little bit of an overview today. And then we're going to ask the question, why did God give these Ten Commandments? Okay, so let's run through Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 to 17. Now, I'm just going to list the commandments, and on the screen, the verses will be there. So commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This is God's commandment to his people. God does not tolerate any rivals. He is an exclusive God. He will not not have his people worship other gods. It's either him or not him. You shall not have any other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And we see this in verse 4. To six. Uh, it, it's pretty much this idea that no man-made object or no man-made creation is deserved of any type of worship, especially the worship of our true gods. Now, historically, this became quite interesting, especially in the old Catholic Church, where a lot of monuments or a lot of pictures of Jesus were escalated or or, or um put up and and people would worship these pictures or these um, beads or these flowers or things like that. And what what God is saying is, you shall not make yourself any type of idol, any type of idol. No, No thing of creation should ever be worshipped, only the creator. Okay? Number three. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is in verse 7. To put this simply, it means that we're called to respect the name of God. Now, in our day, God's name is used in a lot of cursing or, or even just joking around. But this is what the commandment is saying, is to not use and abuse the name of God. It's also to say, don't use the name of God for your own benefit. For example, you know, you're driving and you get pulled over by, you know, our wonderful law enforcement officers. (laughs) And they say, excuse me, sir, you were traveling, you know, 50 kilometers over the speed limit. And you say to them, I'm so sorry. I'm very, I'm very, um, uh, I'm, I'm very sorry for what I've done. And they're like, well, how do we know you're not going to do it again? And you go, oh, sir, I'm, I'm a Christian. <laughs> now, 
can I just say, I my interpretation, my personal idea is that I, that moment you have taken the Lord's name in vain. You have used the name of, you literally name dropped God to get out of a speeding ticket. That's what I think anyway, means to not abuse the name of God, not for your benefit. Okay? Uh, commandment number four, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Verse 8 to 11. The Sabbath is the seventh day. Now in creation, we had six, God created the world in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. And he actually commands this to, to his people and, and says, you work hard for six days. But on the seventh day, I'm commanding you. I'm not suggesting. I'm not saying that this might be a good idea. I'm commanding you. Seventh day, you should rest. Um, this was given to us uh, not just for our physical rest and balance, but to learn that we need to depend on God. We need to depend on God in that downtime. Uh, you know, a lot of business owners struggle with this because it's like, well, if I don't work on the seventh day, then I lose income. And the question is, well, who do you trust for your income anyway? Is it your customers or is it God? It's to recognize that we're not robots. God did not create robots for us to work seven days a week. And I know, I know that it feels like we live in a world where we have to hustle. And the more we hustle, the more we can earn. The more we can earn, the better our life will be. And I'm just saying, the commandment of the Sabbath is asking the question, who do you trust in your life to take care of you? So the first four commandments that God gives are about him and his people. In the next six commandments, he turns a corner and it's about how people deal with people. Okay? So the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Children are called to respect and honor their parents. Yes, parents are called to help protect and teach their children. But for children, as we respect our parents, we recognize that it's God that's in control. It's God's provision for them. Number six, do not murder. God is the creator of all life. Um, and, and we don't get to make that decision. We don't get to... It's saying it is wrong to take away life from another person. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Now, adultery um, includes any sexual activity outside of marriage. Any sexual activity. And, and sometimes people start thinking, well, you know, watching porn, you know, having lustful thoughts, you know, well, I didn't actually go and do anything. But really, under the definition of adultery, it's anything. Any kind of sexual activity, even in your mind and in your heart, that happens outside of marriage, out of the marriage covenant, we would say that that is adultery. Cheating doesn't happen just because a married person went and had sex with another person outside of that spouse, but any kind of sexual thought, fantasy outside of the marriage is considered adultery. Commandment eight, do not steal this command acknowledges the right to own private property. It forbids 
theft, robbery, extortion, taking bribes, pretty much taking anything of someone else that is not rightfully yours. That is the overarching definition of stealing. Now, if we were to play it, play it out a little bit, it also includes things like cheating on exams because you're stealing someone else's knowledge and answers or cheating on your taxes. Stealing from the government is still stealing. Stealing from your workplace, stationary cupboard, not for your work stuff, but for home. The one thing that it does not include, but, is the stealing of hearts. That's okay. <laughs> but then, if you go back to do not commit adultery, then, yeah, okay, so there's a little bit of overlap in that, okay, so. <laughs> Commandment number nine, do not lie. Or, as it gives in Exodus 16, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. This command primarily focuses on bearing false witness against your neighbor, speaking untruths, but can also be extended to what we call half-truths or exaggerations. They're not full-blown lies, but they're just, I didn't say all the truth. I didn't say the whole picture. It's like when you kind of skip parts of the story or add few extra details in the story to either make the story bigger and better or you just omit things. Now that's still lying. And then the last commandment, commandment 10, says do not covet. Do not covet means do not want what other people have but rather learn to be content with what you have. To covet is to see something, you know, and it doesn't just have to be a material thing, right? Like you can look at someone and go, man, they're so good looking. I wish I looked like that, right? So I've been watching, I watch this drama, right? And so I've been joking with my wife doing this. Some people understand that. If you understand this on the YouTube you can put it on the, um, the chat. <laughs> I don't, anyway, I'm not coveting. Just saying, just. But it, it can be like, you know, a car. Man, that guy's got a really nice car. I really want that car. And I think it's not just like, I really want that, and then that, that thought disappears, but it just sits there the whole time. And all you can think about is, man, I really want that. I really want that. I really want that. And that's coveting. So these are the Ten Commandments. Now, if you've not read the rest of the book of Exodus, what you will find is they are the first Ten Commandments. They're the first commandments that God gives. But actually, through the rest of the book of Exodus, God's going to give 600 plus more commandments right, to the people of Israel. And the question that we want to know tonight is not just do you know the commandments, but do, do you know why God gave these commandments? Why did God give these commandments to the Israelites when, the, when, they, when he's just rescued them out of Egypt? Why give these commandments? Why give these rules? Is it because he's trying to be the fun police? Doesn't want anyone to have fun? 
You know, is it, is it because he's trying to be a controlling dictator? You know, is it because he wants us to live in one certain way and that's it and, and there's no freedom in that? Actually, the, the answer comes in, in, the, in the chapter before, in chapter 19, verse 3 to 6. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, out of these verses, there are three reasons why we see why God gives the commandments to the Israelites. The first one is this. It's to reflect and teach God's character. The commandments were given firstly to reflect God and his character and to share with his people what was important for him. As we talked about family traditions and cultural traditions, right? Just like how each family and culture have different values and beliefs that are reflected in their ways of life. These commandments are a reflection of what is important to God. This is what God wants for his people on earth. This was a way to continue to help inform the Israelite people, this is who I am. That question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? This is the way that God is starting to answer that question to the Israelites. Now, remember, the Israelites have just come out. They know bits and pieces of God, but we're starting to learn, they're starting to learn more about God. And actually, one of the first reasons why God gives the commandments is because if you think about what those commandments are, and what they are actually saying, and you can go back and go, why is that important? It's because that's who God is. They're the things that God cares about. right? So the first thing that we need to understand of why God gave this commandment is to reflect himself, to reveal himself to his people. Okay, That's the first thing that we need to understand. Okay, Secondly, was to help form the identity, their identity, the Israelites. See, the commandments, or another word for that, the law, the law was given to serve as a foundation for the nation of Israel, the forming of their identity as the people of God. Now, I read this this week. There are three essentials for any nation. Three essentials. Number one, a nation has to have a common people. Secondly, a nation has to have a common land. And thirdly, a nation has to have a common law or a constitution. Now, God has already given Israelites a common people. They're the common people, right? And the common land, God is sending them to the promised land, the land of Canaan. But what they missed in that identity was they didn't have common law. They didn't have a constitution. And so 
what God does in giving his, not just the Ten Commandments, but the 600 plus commandments is not just to reflect his own heart, but to tell the people, look, if you're going to be my nation and you're going to represent me, you need to know what I'm about. You need to know what's important to me and you need to live lives that reflect my desires. See, what God promises is amazing. He promises that out of all the nations of the world, that he would handpick Israel, that Israel would be the treasured possession, that they would be the kingdom of priests and the holy nation, and the way that they were going to be set apart from every other nation was in the way they lived their life reflecting the heart of God. Reflecting the heart of God. It's like being a brand ambassador. People who know the brand, people who who live out the brand, right? They know what's important. they're, They're representing the brand. And so you walk past someone, and there are people like this, right? My wife's like this. My wife is a Lululemon brand ambassador. She's not, she doesn't get paid for it. She actually pays to be a Lululemon brand ambassador. If the owner of Lululemon, Mr. Lulu or Mrs. Lululemon is watching the the stream, please reach out to me and save me some money. She, She models that stuff. So when you walk past my wife, you just go, oh, Lululemon girl, right? That's what Israel was meant to be. That's what these commandments were meant to show. These nations would walk past Israel. They would look at the lives that they were living, look at the commandments they were obeying, and go, oh, they are representing who? God. So it was, it was for the Israelite people to know, oh, this is who I am meant to be. As a, as a people of God, this is who I'm meant to be. I'm meant to be representing the values and beliefs of our God. And so by doing that, they would solidify their identity Right? It's like my kids, right? Just before church came, uh, church started today, there was a two o'clock game. It was, it was the Bulldogs versus the Eels. Yes, the Bulldogs lost. We already knew that. Even before the game started, we already knew that. Yes, that's okay. Uh, we only lost by two, which is a great win for us, really. <laughs> my, my two older boys, they support the Canary Bulldogs. And later in their life, they're going to thank me for it. Right? Not now, but later in their life, they're going to thank me for it. And it's because they are a part of our family. The Char family only support the Canary Bulldogs. It's just part of our family culture and tradition. And so we watch games together. We talk about plays together. And, and, and when Manly or the Roosters come on, we boo them together. Right? I'm forming in my children that identity that you are a supporter of the Canterbury Bulldogs, right? So later, they're going to wear the blue and white. When they get married, it's going to be blue and white. The wedding cake's going to be blue and white. And whoever they marry, if they, don't, if, if they don't, you know, support the Bulldogs, then we'll have to think about that, you know? But the kids are going to grow up, and they're going to be like 20 real quick, and they're going to be like, someone's going to go, hey, who, what NRL team do you go for? And they go, well, I'm a Bulldog. It's just a part of who they are, right? So this is what God's doing. He's, he's solidifying the identity of the Israelites, saying, look, 
you're my people. You're my, you're my treasured possession. And so I want you to represent me because this is what I'm about. So firstly, God gives the commandments to reflect his own character. Secondly, it was to help the Israelites form their identity. And thirdly, is to help them live life. As God's people, God gives these rules not as restrictions, but actually on the contrary, to allow them to enjoy true freedom. The commandments were given to help the people of God understand not just the heart of God, but under God's rule and reign, what God said was right and wrong. If you were going to live under God's banner, then the best way to achieve that was to not just know God's heart, but to live out that in your, in, in your life. These were the boundaries that were given for the people of God to thrive. You know, sometimes we, we see boundaries or rules and restrictions and we see them as being limiting. But actually, our human nature tells us that when given no restriction at all, that is actually the most limiting. There was a study done in a, in a primary school, and there was a big open field. And, and, and these, these, these parents were complaining. Oh, sorry, there, there was a big fence around the field. And the, they would study these children, and these children would play everywhere in the field. Right? Some would play in the middle, some would play you know, at the top, and a lot of these kids would play on the fence. And so some of these people were like, wait a minute, that fence is limiting the children. You know, why do we have that fence there? Why are we limiting them? And so what they did was they took away the fence and they continued to monitor the children, but what actually happened was they noticed a change in their behavior that the children would actually only really play in the center. Even though the whole field was available, they wouldn't go to the edge of the field, but they would only play in the center. And so what psychologists recognized was that actually having that boundary gave the children more confidence and freedom to explore, to feel safe, to feel secure about who they were. And that's why they went out. But take away that fence they actually felt more vulnerable, more anxious, and more limited. That's our human nature. And God knows that. Why? Because he created us. By giving us rules, uh, it's not to restrict us, but actually it's us to enjoy the fullness of life. Right? Um, let me ask you this question. As God's people... Right, as God's people. So let's let's go from Exodus to here. If we're God's people, right, what role do these commandments have in our lives today? Right? Because it's one thing to know what the Ten Commandments are. Right? It's one thing to know that. But what about now? You know, what about now? Do they still apply to us in the same way that it applied to us in the Old Testament? If you read through the Bible from Exodus, the reality of the story of Israel is this. Throughout the whole book, the Old Testament, it's just an, a, a, a repetition of Israel failing to obey the commandments. 
600 or command, they will just fail. Like they fail in the next few chapters. They don't even have to go far. And we'll talk about that soon, in the next few weeks. Right? So for the whole Old Testament, they, they fail and they disobey these commandments over and over again. Now, if, if, even if we would look at our own lives, like not even about the 600, but even just that 10, right? There's no one in this room and there's no one that's joining us on the live stream today that could tick off all 10 and go, yeah, in the last you know, 365 days, I have not disobeyed any one of those 10 commandments. Uh, you just lied. And that's one of the commandments. And the thing is, what's interesting is, did God not know? Like, why would God give us a standard that we couldn't adhere to? But actually, when you understand how God worked with Israel, he knew. Even as he was giving the commandments, he knew that the people would disobey and fail. And that's why he brought in what we know as the sacrifice system. So in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice to God a pure lamb. They would shed the blood of this lamb in a way to say, we have stuffed up, we have disobeyed, we're very sorry. And instead of us being killed for our sins, we're going to sacrifice this lamb or sacrifice this pigeon. So God knew this. Right, God knew this. And what's going on is, in the Old Testament, this, this system of sacrifice just continues to go on and on and on. But the crazy part is, in the same way as we move into the New Testament, into the New Testament, God provides us a perfect once-for-all sacrifice that would end up paying the price for our sin, and his name is Jesus. So his son Jesus died on the cross to pay the ultimate penalty of death as a substitute for our sin. And that's the connection between Old and New Testament. Now Jesus was asked in his time, what is the most important commandment? Out of the 600 and whatever commandments that were given in the Old Testament, what is the most important commandment? And this is what Jesus says, and this is in Mark 12, 29 to 31. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus is summarizing the heart of God in God giving these commandments in Exodus and Jesus giving us this in the New Testament, that he, he is concerned about his relationship with his people and he's also concerned about his people and their relationship with each other. So God, Jesus says the most important commandment is this, love God. Love people, love God, love people. Uh, you know, God wants us to love him, to be in relationship with him, to, to grow in intimacy with him. And secondly, he wants us to love each other. And not just in a superficial way, but in a way that he loves the other. This shows us God's heart. This is what is important 
to God. This helps us form our identity as the people of God. Jesus says, John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is our identity. This is how we form our identity as the people of God. Obedience to God is not something that we do to become a Christian. Obedience is something that we do as Christians. We don't work to becoming a Christian by being obedient. As a Christian, we obey because we're not obeying out of a fear or a judgment. We're obeying out of love. We're obeying out of love. I was thinking about this, right? Um, my wife and I, we've been married for, for 13 and a half years now, right? And we have rules in our marriage, right? There are general rules and there are specific rules. And one of the general rules goes back to the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery, right? So we have this trust and this understanding that in our marriage, in our marriage, regardless of whatever happens, that, that we would not go outside of the boundaries of our marriage to another person. Now, imagine I was like, that's so restrictive. You're trying to limit my freedom. Why, why, why are you trying to constrict my life? I'm going to do everything. I'm going to go as far as I can without breaking that rule. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to push the boundaries as far as I can because, you know, that's my freedom. See, actually, the mentality is completely different. Because if I love my wife, which I do very much, it's not about how far can I get to the line without crossing it. It's actually about how far can I run away from that line because I love my wife. Because I love my wife, because love is the motivation behind it, not only do I want to obey these rules that we have within our marriage, not only do I want to honor that, but anything that comes even close to hindering that, I would run away. Why? Because I love my wife. That's the motivation. I love her. And that's why, you know, do not commit adultery. That, that isn't restrictive for me. That is the most free thing for me. Because it gives me the freedom to say to every other woman, oh, I'm married. I love my wife, right? I get to enjoy what God has given to me in marriage. Not because I'm restricted, but actually because I'm free. Friends, in a question of do we still need to obey God's commandments, I think the question is wrong. If in your mind, your relationship with God is about, God, am I obeying you? Therefore, am I doing good? Therefore, am I valuable or worthy to you? Am I good enough to you, God, by obeying this? I would say that question is wrong because that question is motivated out of fear and out of restriction and not love. If I go to my wife, wife, am I, am I, am I doing my best? Look, I, I did all the chores today. I did all of this today. And, 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 you know, like, am I a good husband? You know, that's not motivated out of love. That's motivated out of, 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 of insecurity. That's motivated out of, um, you know, just uh, an emptiness in my own heart. 
but I'll do all those things and even more. Not because I want to gain approval from my wife, but actually because I'm motivated because I love my wife. So the question is not, should you obey the commandments of God? The question is, do you love God? The question is, do you love God? And then if you start going, well, you know, you know, sometimes it's hard and whatnot. I'm just saying, it's actually a very simple question. Do you love God? Because if you truly love God, the Bible tells us, if you love me, you will obey me. But it's all out of the motivation of love. Something that you need to think about. Because I think out of a lot of people who do come to church, they are still motivated out of fear or approval or security rather than love. Love is not the motivator. But in God's economy, God is saying love needs to be the motivator because love is the most important thing. This is what separates us from the world. A world that promotes individualism, a world that promotes consumerism, a world that says that you don't need anything. We as the people of God, as the treasured possession of God, we are called to represent God. Those commandments, they represent the heart of God. That is who we are as the nation of God. We are the people of God in the way we love one another. These commandments, they're not called to restrict you or limit you. They're actually called to free you. The decisions we make, the choices we choose, should be led with the spirit of love, not the fear of disobedience. God did not send Jesus to die for your sins because he wanted your approval. God sent Jesus to die for your sins because he loved you. And because he loved you, he was willing to do anything. And that's the thing. And this is where I land. If you love someone, it's not, you know, what is the minimum I can do for them? If you truly love them, you will go above and beyond. That's the reality. You will do things that are logically and rationally, it doesn't make sense. I remember I had this big fight in the early part of our marriage. And I still remember it was in Chatswood, Westfield, and we blew up in the food court. That's probably why we were fighting, because we were in the food court and not at a cafe. We blew up, and I was so angry. I was so angry. I don't remember why, but I was just, I remember me being very angry. And I said, I'm going to toilet. And I got up, and I, and I went to the toilet. And you know what? I'm going to say I don't remember completely. God probably knows, but I'm pretty sure I was right. That's probably why I was so angry, because I thought I was right, which is most the case, right? And no, I thought I was right, not that I was right. <laughs> so I, I get up and I go to the bathroom, and I'm so angry. And I'm in the bathroom, and I'm so angry. I'm washing my hands, and I'm so angry. And at that moment, I had this choice. I had this choice to go back and be like, let's go round two in the middle of Chatswood Westfield. 
But you know what I did? Does my wife remember what I did? Yes, she does. I went to a shop and I bought her a present. And it made no sense to do that. Because one, she was wrong. (laughs) In my mind. Right? Why did I do that? What motivated me? Was it, if, if being right was the motivation, then I would have just gone back and this is how it is. But it wasn't. Love, the marriage, that covenant, that was the important thing. And so I needed to represent that. And that's why we're still married today. Because not just me, but for both of us, we don't do things for each other because we have to, hopefully. It's because we want to. You don't obey God's commandments because you have to. That's slave and master relationship. You live for God because you want to. That's your choice. You obey God. God goes, you know, jump. You know, for, for, if God tells you to jump, a lot of us are like in the rebellious, we're like, why is God telling me to jump? You know, God knows that I've got bad knees. God knows that I'm overweight and I'm going to hurt my ankles. God knows that I'm going to look stupid in front of all these people. Why is he making me jump? You know what? That is the heart. That's that rebellious heart of ours that's always questioning God, like questioning why would God make me do this? You know a heart that loves God? When God says jump, you know what you say? How high, God? How high do you want me to jump? How many times do you want me to jump? You want me to spin around and jump? God, I'll do whatever. That's the motivation. So friends, as we read these 10 commandments and the many other commandments that God gives to us, ask yourself, are you obeying these or trying to obey these out of this, like, I need to impress God, I need to do this out of duty and obligation, or is it like God Because you love me, I love you, and I want to honor you. I want to do this for you, God. Is this out of love? I pray that you would do this out of love. That you would recognize that God did it out of love for you. And that you would respond with love as well. Let's pray.